Welcome to the Rebooting Business Podcast, where we discuss how businesses can reboot, rebuild, and come back bigger and stronger than ever before in a post-COVID-19 reality. And now, here's your host, David Summerfleck. Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of the Rebooting Business Podcast. I am your host, David Summerfleck a digital marketing specialist online at www.dms.blue. My guest today is Patty Mara. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. Okay. Thank you, Patty, for joining Rebooting Business today. Can you please introduce yourself and summarize your professional background and how you went from who you were in the past and what you did to basically how you transitioned to your current career, if that makes sense. Sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, David, thank you for having me on Beyond Rebooting Business. Um, I think the, the focus of your podcast right now is extraordinary because we're in such a, I, we're in such a period of time, and I know we'll get, get to talking about this, but what, whereas we're in a period of incredible change and challenge dealing with crisis, I think we're going to reflect back on what we're in the middle of right now as the most inventive, creative, and necessary period setting us up for a great deal of growth and abundance going forward. So um, it great. I love the, the whole theme of what you're talking about. Uh, so, my, so my background, I'm a business coach, and I've been coaching for over 25 years um, you know, it's one of those things, my, my degree is in biology with a, you know, undisclosed minor in, in economics. Um, uh, it didn't lead me to a necessary career, you know, once I graduated and I would, I would definitely say I fell into coaching. And what I mean by that is, um, when I graduated, it was actually during a, a recession, mm. um, the late 80s, early 90s is when I graduated from university. And I remember the headline on the newspapers, IBM, for the first time in history, laid off middle managers. So I graduated at a time that microtechnology was actually taking or shifting the whole management structure in corporate, and no one was hiring. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I stumbled into, uh, stumbled into, um, entrepreneurship I did a couple of initially did a couple of network marketing and, um, I lucked out that I connected with a group, very professional group that were doing network marketing and had big, uh, a business complex. And within a month I was on stage doing the retail training on how to retail position and connect with people in the retail portion. And that, that just evolved. So um, I had a background working in retail. I have a very diverse background in marketing and um, retail. And I had an experience uh, when I worked part-time in a bookstore uh, in my 20s. So sometime in the 80s when I was going to university. And it was a small chain bookstore in a mall. And um, I had a very good manager. So I would say the, the, the basis is what I learned working in this bookstore. This manager, um, we were all trained that whenever a customer came into the store, we stopped what we were doing. We said, hi, welcome. Can I help you find something? Very simple. Mm -hmm. If they were looking. Looking for something, we took them to the section, put the book in their hand. If we didn't have it, we saw if we could order it or offer alternatives. Not complicated. If customers were in the store, they had our full attention. We weren't having sidebar conversations. But consistently, we had people, pay customers come back into the store just to say thank you, that they had been in multiple stores in, throughout that mall, and ours was the only store that they felt welcomed and appreciated. It's amazing how many businesses don't do that one simple um, facet or, 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 or that one thing. It's, it's amazing how many don't do that. And it's so simple, but I didn't mean to interrupt you. Please continue. Well, and that's, it's an interesting piece. It was really the position of the manager. 
And so I had training that had me be aware of a customer, creating a customer experience and having everything. We actually had a sign on our stockroom door in the back of the store was the stockroom and, and also where the staff lockers were. And there was a sign on the back of the door. Everything that's going on in your life is important, but leave it back here. Out there is all about the customer. Outside this door is all about the customer. I, so, I agree 100%. Two, two things stood out for me. The first was it was fun. It was fun to work there. We had very, you know, mostly part-time, one full-time person and the rest were part-time, a lot of university students. And we had very little turnover. So we, it was, it was a dynamic. The time went by fast. It was fun to work there. Very dynamic, very engaging because we were engaged with our customers and that little bookstore. So I think this was 87. That little bookstore was budgeted to do 500,000 gross revenue. And we did just over a million. That stayed with me. The, the, the impact of you weren't order taking, you were creating an experience was the basis of everything I did. And, and that led me into retail training, doing some consulting, doing some team training. Um, and, and I, I was able to kind of build a business to a point, but I couldn't get it beyond me until I came across a company, a training company by the name of Strategic Coach. And at that point, I just took off because it had the awareness of, of team development and, and supporting unique ability and positioning yourself in the marketplace that enabled me to take my knowledge and expertise, the experience that I had garnered, and then really take it out into the marketplace. So that was one of my, my pivotal shifts. And so... I've been doing what I'm doing now for the last 15 years. And uh, um, I came out with a, an online program about 14 years ago called The Profit Generator, Turning Your Customer Experience into Profit. And that led to me working with uh, pharmacy owners. I spent about 11 years working predominantly with independently owned pharmacies mm. in the States because they're very, um, it's almost an unfair marketplace and um, uh, helping them reposition based on the value they provide, not just what they sell. And then that, you know, led to the writing a book, having a book published, and really set me up for the change that we're dealing with right now. So that's, that's kind of my history to date. Yeah, I think you hit on several points that I want to make sure that we come back to or circle back to. One is the value, the value proposition is really, really vital for the business owner who is trying to determine what they need to solve their problem. Um, but it also goes to, you know, who they hire and what the business owner is willing to budget in order to achieve their objectives. And there's a huge deficit there that I want to make sure we talk about. So how would you take, well, let's, let's skip ahead and say, what opportunities do you see in change, especially in light of what's going on in the world today, especially in the US, using the current crisis that we're going through now to reinvent business let's say reboot business, because that's the name of the podcast, and emerge in a stronger, more stable position. I don't think you have to be a market leader, but just so that you're in a better spot. Mm -hmm. How do these challenges shape us and how should business owners adapt right now? Yeah, the, great question, David. Interesting. I actually think market leaders right now, um, companies that have been uber successful, are at a disadvantage compared to everyone else. <laughs> yeah, I agree. They've been so successful at how they've operated in the past, what's had them be successful, that they become entrenched. So companies that are trying to figure it out and are willing to adapt and change right now are at a huge advantage. So I'd, I'd like to answer your question by, um, there's two quotes I really like that are built on each other. The first is Rahm Emanuel, U.S. Senator who became uh, mayor of Chicago mm -hmm. after the market crash in 2008 said, never waste a crisis. 
And he was actually paraphrasing Winston Churchill, who at the end of World War II, when Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill got together, said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And he was talking about they were gathering, you know, unlikely, unlikely gathering of these three world leaders. Um, but they, it was the start of the UN. So the yeah. United Nations actually came out of that meeting at the end of World War II. So that, that was Winston Churchill, never let a good crisis go to waste. A crisis interrupts all patterns. And so I actually, I've literally in the last three months talked to hundreds of business owners. Essential services, their businesses are expanding. The businesses that were kind of paused and businesses that have been completely disrupted, their business is, they're out of business because they can't hold out for the next year before we get back to holding events. For example, a friend of mine has an event staffing business. So literally hundreds of business over the, uh, owners over the last three months. And um, what I, in my opinion, my opinion is the current crisis, the business crisis coming out of the global pandemic uh, and the impact has accelerated trends that were already happening. Yes. Right. So, so they were already there, but we were putting up with it or, you know, we were willing to work harder or figure out or struggle a bit, or we've now had a major disruption and a crisis that we can no longer limp along. We literally have to, I like to say we have to reimagine, reinvent and reposition. And that's the opportunity because what was working wasn't going to continue working anyways. Yes, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, it's interesting how, you know, just a few months ago, if I wanted to go to a doctor for a routine checkup, um, I was talking to my wife about this the other day. I, we have to get in the car. It's going to take an hour with traffic to get to the doctor. There's parking and so on. Then you go to the doctor. You wait in the lobby for a half hour. You see the doctor. You're in and out in 10 minutes. Now it takes you another hour to get home. You might as well stop and run some other errands before you know it. Your whole day is over. The positive, one of the positive things coming through this is that these businesses from doctors to lawyers to other businesses have had to acknowledge that the internet is there basically um and obviously my opinion is biased on this as a as you know a digital marketer but now finally the doctors are using video conferencing like what we're doing now and we can do a routine checkup in my home office it's over in 10 minutes if that if I want groceries, I can get online. I can order them through Instacart and be very particular with what I want. Um, and like what you said, this crisis has forced business owners and entrepreneurs who otherwise may have been resistant or may have felt overwhelmed to say, now is the time to make this transition or we're going to be receptive to this. Um, have you found more and more business owners being receptive or have, have there been more, um, has there been more overwhelm? I think I would say there's a combination of both. Um, uh, a conversation I've had with a number of entrepreneurs is even if you're expanding right now, um, there's still, we're all in some stage of the grieving process. Because even if you see this as an opportunity, you've had a huge disruption. Like we had designed our life a particular way, and that has been completely disrupted. Business has been disrupted, relationships have been disrupted. So there's definitely, you know, one mm. of the things that like, we have to have grace with ourselves. Maybe, you know, one of my things is take care of yourself. Make sure you're eating well, you're getting enough exercise, you're getting enough sleep. We literally need to invest in taking care of ourselves because th there is that, even if you're excited, I I'm excited about what's happened, about what's the possibility out of this. And I see as I think five years, 10 years, we're going to look back on this period as one of the most profound, necessary pivots mm -hmm. in order for us to take advantage of the emerging technology that we probably would have put off engaging with because we would have had to make change. Um, yeah. but, 
but we still have to we still have to do that. The, the other piece, David, I want to add to that is you were talking about you know digital marketing services as an example. Every, so my target audience are brick and mortar to a large. I work with some online businesses, but a lot of who I work with are the the retail and service businesses that are brick and mortar that are trying to figure out how to compete. And I think, you know, I keep hearing this brick and mortar's dead, completely disagree. I actually think they're more essential than ever. They're the, you know, glue in a community uniqueness, but they have to be, they can't continue doing, you can't have a store, open the doors and think people are going to come to you. Um, a good friend of mine, right, right. 18 months ago, opened a pet food store in a small town. I think there's you know, 3000 people in the small town, but servicing, you know, a good area in the surrounding area. And um, she has done a brilliant job at building a very successful business in 18 months, but she did it through Facebook and website and going to um, being part of the local BI business improvement association, mm -hmm. going to, you know, farmers market. She was very involved in the community was very accessible and so when, when, you know, COVID lockdown hit, she became more available and more accessible. And they spent the first month investing in adding Shopify to their website. So even though she really services a local area, you know, they offered curbside delivery, free right. delivery for the first time and easily um, pick, you know, order and they'll even ship to you. Uh, but they made themselves more accessible so every brick and mortar has to have a web presence now and not just brochureware. You have to be interactive and be able to simplify providing the value you provide. And that includes online. There has Absolutely. to be almost like a seamless integration. It's no longer nice if you have it. It's now an essential part of your business. Absolutely. I mean, uh, from from doctors who are using video conferencing to talk to patients, I've seen there are lawyers who are finally after the irony is, I mean, this thing was around for at least 10 years ago. Skype is not new by any means. Uh, Cisco, their video conferencing was a, not at all new. I don't know when it started, but it's not new by any means. But now you have lawyers, doctors. Um, other professionals who do consultation work and even coaches such as yourself, accountants, uh, can do almost everything online. So the overhead that that reduces for you, you know, the time that you waste sitting in traffic, the time, different time that you spend in meetings can now all be removed. You can consolidate so much overhead by putting your bookkeeping online and removing the, the data to the cloud. You can simplify and consolidate so much now than ever before. Um, so I think that that's, that's one of the good things to come from this. I think physical brick and mortar stores will still be around, but I think that, um, ignoring being online, I think they're doing it at their own risk right now. I can't tell you how many restaurants. I would love to order from locally who I can't, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I lost a lot of weight uh, from juicing and there's a juicing place downtown. I'd love to order from them, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to get in my car and drive there to go get something where I have to put on the mask and then worry about other people who won't wear a mask and then wait in line to get it and so on and so forth. They could deliver it to your door, but they don't. Mm -hmm. I was trying to order a bicycle online uh, so we can go bike riding. There's no place locally to do it. And that's you know. a missing. That's a missing. You know, it's interesting. I, I was having a, my friend who has this <laughs> pet food store. My comment to her is it's not, it doesn't make sense yet. Um, there isn't the technology, although the drone technology may shift it. But I think we want to get to the point that I just subscribe with however many animals I have and food shows up for me every two weeks. They do have that technology, actually. Um, not for the local, like for, for right. 
small independent store to be able to offer that. It's not there yet, but it's coming. It's not far off. They could. Well, I don't want to get too techy, but it could. It can be set up. It can be set up for them. Amazon has a delivery subscription service because uh, we actually use it. But as far as local mom and pops, the technology is there now. It could be set up, but and they have they have to have the will states is a little bit different than canada that there's a services that they offer in the states that they haven't yet rolled out in, in other in other countries yeah um and you know i have been an amazon advocate for a long time but they've done for me some questionable things in the last couple of years they're almost becoming the walmart of online retailers so it, anyways it's an instant but you're right. Technology, the technology is there, not easily. But there was some a company in, I think, Portland, Oregon. Um, I just read an article that, you know, one of the things when we're looking at what's possible in our business right now is to go back and see what worked in the past. I think one of the trends, yeah. one of the trends is we're moving to we're moving to solution based customer centric businesses. So you need to know who your customers are. You need to know what's important to them and how do you create value for them? I think that's the major trend that's been happening over the last 10 years, but now it's full stop now. And um, uh, one, of the, one of the business models from the past is the milkman, the milk delivery that mm -hmm. you know showed up every morning on your front stoop. Well, there's um, uh, a, a company in Portland, Oregon, who using technology, the infrastructure to organize, um, they've coordinated local farmers. So the farmers united together are putting together like a central way of ordering and then they take care of the local delivery. Yeah. And it, it literally brings farm to table right to your door, creating another market for local farmers, but also connecting the consumer to the farmers. And it's going back to the at-home delivery. Yeah, and, and that's just one really good example of how business owners, I think, can adapt during tumultuous times. Um, I'm in Florida, and I know that there was a, a news story I saw, and it was very encouraging about a local pub. And they were saying, well, no one is coming into our pub. And they didn't, obviously, they don't want to go out of business. So I guess the owner had this light go on in his head where he said, well, wait a minute. We're ordering supplies all the time for our food, for our patrons. What if we sold groceries at a reduced rate since we get everything in bulk? So people could literally pull up to the pub and someone would come out to the car and bring them like 10 pounds of chicken, 10 pounds of produce. Uh, 10 pounds of liquor, you know, or, you know, however many gallons that would be, I guess. And they would just have it, you'd pull up your car and they would come bring it to your car. And I remember looking at it thinking this would be great, but I don't, I don't even want to do that. Bring it to my door, make it so I can order what I want online. And you'll have thousands of dollars worth of revenue from me coming in every other month. So, I guess where this is taking me is how do you convince or do you convince these business owners of the importance of, of adaptation? Should we be doing that? Should someone in my position be trying to convince them, you know, hey, you should really use digital marketing technology to take orders online and offer, you know, deliver to someone's doorstep? Or should I just say, no, if you're not interested, forget it? So I've, I, I'm going to answer, I'm going to answer your question in two different ways. Um, I've definitely taken the approach of sharing ideas, examples, and stories. So lots of articles, lots of, you know, showcasing where, what businesses have done, because I find that opens, it's, it's like it creates space and opens the door for people to see different possibilities. So I, I think that's definitely one part, of, one part of it is just open up what you're doing right now with rebooting business podcast is a perfect example because people listening, business owners and team members listening you know, will come away with lots of different ideas that they wouldn't have thought of any other way. 
the other thing that I'm finding is that I'm not having to convince anyone these days. They're literally, <laughs> you know, all I have to do is open a question to say, you know, how are you doing? How's your business right now? And bang, it all opens. And so, um, even if you're, even if you're, you know, have a business that's essential services right now, you still have to change how you deliver it. And sometimes who you, who you're working with. Uh, so everyone, the one thing about dealing with the crisis is that everyone is in the deep end with change. And so I am noticing that I'm, I'm not having any type of convincing arguments. Now saying that I think I deal with entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs are so responsive. I think larger corporate clients, especially, you know, the fortune 500 companies that are entrenched, you know, if, if, if I, if I was a, if I was somebody who worked with, for a big corporation, I would take a really serious look to see how they're adapting. Are they adapting? Are they taking the temperature of their customer base? Are they looking at emerging technology? Are they looking at what's the pivot or what's the repositioning? And if they're not, I would find a different company to work with or start your own. Because I think the scary part for people is thinking that, you know, a really successful Fortune 500 company that's been successful for years, they're the ones that are at most risk. They're the ones that'll be the ostrich with their head in the sand thinking they're big enough or they've been successful enough to navigate this. And history has shown every time we've had this type of a shift, this type of a crisis, you know, the new leaders that are going to take us forward emerge from it. Almost none, none of them survive through it. When it comes to running a business, there are a lot of moving parts. There's managing daily operations, delegating work, and using digital marketing to attract more customers in a post-COVID-19 economy. With so much to do and the stakes higher than ever before, it's important to know where to go for experienced, professional digital marketing guidance. That's where we come in. At DMS.Blue, digital marketing is our specialty. We help committed industry leaders and premium service providers reboot, rebrand, and come back bigger and stronger than they were before. If you're ready to ignite your bottom line and accelerate growth, get in touch with the digital marketing specialists at www.dms.blue and schedule a free, no strings attached consultation today. Yeah, and it may be that um, they're too big to pivot. Look, uh, kind of like what you were alluding to. There's so much infrastructure. You have to have a meeting. Uh, with the board of directors to then schedule another meeting to discuss what you're going to do and then who do you assemble and who are they um, accountable to and so on. So, I, I, yeah, small businesses can be more agile. They can move more quickly and change. And I think that's why so many larger businesses, like you said, have already gone under from J.C. Penney, Montgomery Ward a few years ago. Um, and there's so many other ones that are right on the precipice right now. Um, now, in your book, Up Solutions, you talk about reinventing. What do you mean by Up Solutions? And what is a disruptive team exactly as you would define it? Perfect. So um, up solutions is a little bit of play on words. Um, you know, you keep hearing a uh, tactic is to upsell your customers, upsell your customers. Right. Would you like fries with that? Right. The traditional McDonald's. Would you like fries? Would you like the happy meal? Would you like, you know, sure. And then you uh, walk away with a big belly afterwards. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, the flip of that, it's literally, it's the, the diametric opposed. It's 180 degrees different. Up solutions is identifying what's important to your customers. Who are they? What do they need? What's important to them? What solution could you offer to their needs in providing that? So rather than, you know, trying to get that add on sales, I, I actually think, and, and I've been saying this for 10 years. Interesting. 
I've been saying this for 10 years and it's just, it's, we're at the point now you either shift or you're not going to survive. But I think we're dealing with, there are new business rules and um, we are shifting from sales to solutions. So if, if you think your business is what you sell, your product or service, you're being commoditized, you're being squeezed on price and you won't survive. I agree. I think your product and service is a vehicle for how you create value. What value, what solution, why do people buy from you? That's your business. And the other is shifting from transaction to um, relationship. So, so nobody, nobody that does business with you, should it be a one-time sale? That's starting the relationship. So again, what do they need? What might they need? How do you become a trusted, valued solution partner, a resource that you make your customer's life easier and better? And then that's the relationship that you're now, now you're, you know, again, we're in a period of crisis. So people are willing to change everything right now. But, but once we adjust and we get our new normal sorted out, we want to make a decision. And then we want to make that decision right by repeating that decision. So it's actually hard to get someone to change their buying behavior once they've said it. You have an opportunity right now when everyone's disrupted to help people to create solutions, to create value and create long-term relationships. And once people make that decision, as long as you um, uh, honor the, the trust and, you know, appreciate and value the relationship, you know, you, you can have a very long-term um profitable customer interaction because you're coming from creating value. I'm going to circle back on value again in a, in, in a few minutes, but I wanted to ask you to, what is a disruptive team and what causes that? Mm, yes. Yeah. So, so a couple things about your team. First of all, in most businesses, it's the team that have most interactions with your customer. The entrepreneur, beyond the initial starting the business, when the entrepreneur is there doing everything, as soon as you start building and having a team, it's usually the team members that have the interactions with the customers. So <clears throat> the team needs to understand the value they provide. They need to know the difference between the tasks of their role and the results they're producing. Yeah. And understand how to create value for customers, not sell or treat your customers like a transaction. That's the pivotal mindset shift that your team have to understand. It's the byline of the book Up Solutions is turning your team into heroes and your customers into raving fans. Um, team members want to be heroes. They want to create value. They want to win. They want to be, you know, um, uh, um, uh, make a difference. And so... Um, if you, if you empower them, position them and train them so they understand how, then uh, they're actually your delivery method and they're the key element. Um, if you just come up with a business reposition and focus on value and your team don't know how to deliver that consistently, you're back to being commoditized because you're really just, your team thinks you're selling a product or service, so that's what you're selling. Yeah. And your team are the ones who are having the the communication with your customers. So if they don't understand, if they just think they're ask, answering a question, they don't understand the value, the message that the customer's relaying, then that's lost. Your team, the people that are doing the job day in, day out right now, are going to have the best ideas for evolving, for reinventing, for even simple suggestions because they're the ones that have the direct interaction. They're the ones with the boots on the ground. It's like um, all the different marketing agencies that I worked at. The people who were in the management suite were more concerned about the revenue, which is understandable. But they didn't really know what was going on outside of that office. Only if there was a problem. And so there was a, a, a disconnect. And I, I mean, so how do you stop a, a team from, from being disruptive or disrupted so you don't have that disconnect between management and what your clients or your customers really need? You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
It's um, it's a really good point. I was just having a conversation earlier today with a <clears throat> business advisor, and her focus is shifting organizations from. And she works a lot in, with healthcare companies, and they everyone says patient first, patient first. Right. Well, the problem with patient first is it should actually be people first. I think it was Zig Ziglar who first said how the owner treats the executive is how the executive treat the management, which is how the management treat the frontline, which is how the frontline treat your customer. So if an entrepreneur is not treating you, if you're not treating your team, like that's your first layer of customer and you're taking care of them and creating value and having trusted relationships with them. If you're not doing that, your frontline team are not having that relationship with your customers. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, I don't know why some people get more involved or some leaders, I should say, get more involved and others just don't. And I guess it's it's a matter of their own personal training or orientation. I remember one agency in particular I worked at where the, 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 the main person, the project manager, uh, would come out and he would walk around. And he would talk to people in the different cubicles and he would say, how's everything going? How's the SEO for that website coming along? Are any problems? Well, actually, sir, yeah, we do have some problems. Well, let me get somebody on the phone with that or get someone to email you about that so you have access to that. That was very rare. Mm -hmm. Very, very rare. I remember one restaurant that I've ever been to with my wife. It was only one time I ever had this happen. And the restaurant owner would come over to the tables and he would say, how was the meal? Are you happy with it? Is there anything you need? Any issues or anything I should be aware of? And I couldn't believe it. The food wasn't that great, really. But we went there because we felt like he did listen. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. And it's the only time I've ever seen that at any restaurants. And I've eaten at quite a number of them. So... How can you fix that? You can't make managers interested, can you? Well, what, what's the, what is the the Peter principle that you know we um, elevate people to one layer beyond the capability? Yes, I'm not a hundred percent a believer of that. I think it's one of the reasons that I so appreciate working with entrepreneurs because I find entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs entrepreneurial teams. They're literally on the court of life. What I mean by that is they're, they're not in the stands. They're not watching the action. What they do, immediately they can see that worked or that didn't work. I produced results. I didn't produce results. Customer liked it and bought. Customer didn't like it and they never came back. Right? You immediately get feedback on what you're putting out. And that that's, takes courage, <laughs> right? And, and you're putting yourself out in the court. Absolutely. So saying that, um, uh, I have a, a friend of mine, Terry Novell, who has something she calls the business growth formula. And it's the seven stages of organizational growth or entrepreneurial growth. Hmm. And um, each stage, you, there are specific capabilities that you acquire, develop at each stage. And if you go to the next stage without developing them, you're going to have to backfill. So I say that because I feel like we grow to, we max out our capability, we max out the structure we develop, we max out our leadership skills, our communication skills. We grow until we hit the point that we have to, you know, shift gears, relearn, expand, um, uh, come up with a different way, or, you know, we'll get a realization that what we're working right now that's worked up until now is not going to take us to the next level. And so that's the opportunity to learn, grow, change, challenge in some way, engage with what do I not know that's what I need to learn and adapt and develop in order to go to the next stage. So those who are successful long term have maybe a questioning mindset and they have to adapt. They see that there's something wrong and they want to get engaged because they recognize, hey, this could go under. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I think it's in, I'm sorry, go ahead. So, 
so I apologize, David. I people no. can change. So, you know, um, we tend to follow the same patterns until, um, uh, I like to say, you know, things that are right now, we all have limiting beliefs. Um, but at some point in time, what's now a limiting belief was actually a supportive, it was supportive. It kept us safe. It was good. It, it was, but we outgrew it. And so it's the same with skill sets, management skills, mm. communication skills. It's, they were successful in the past and now we've outgrown it. And that's, I mean, that's the beauty part of, of, of life is that we get to continually learn, grow, adapt, and change. Um, we're just in the deep end right now that <laughs> we're all changing at the same time. Yeah. And that's a good thing collectively. Um, in your book and on your website, you talk a lot about empathy and empathy can be hard for some people. What are most business owners and entrepreneurs who you talk to missing as it relates to having the right types of discussions with their clients? Mm. I think there's a, a couple of things. The first is I find a lot of businesses resist doing the work to identify a true target audience. Like what's the main avatar that you're Yes. And that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. Well, and most are, are so afraid of losing out. You know, there's, uh, in one of the strategic coach workshops that I coached, there was a financial advisor and his target audience were Delta airline pilots. That's it. And, because, you know, he'd been a pilot. Like, that's one of the things he'd been. He'd been a pilot in one of his past lives. And he had friends that were Delta airline pilots. So every year when they got the updated benefits handbook handed out, he went through it with a fine-tooth comb, learned it inside and out. And he was the best authority. If you were a Delta airline pilot, he was would enable you the best planning, the best way of of positioning for benefits. He would, the best advice you could possibly get. There are always two pilots together on the plane. They talk. Most of the time it's on autopilot. So he literally, this, this tiny, tiny market, but he had almost every Delta airline pilot was his client. He had a good defined, what do you call a niche market? The, the drawback could be that it may not be enough to be sustainable for a business, but it could be. I mean, if you know, you could go from Delta pilots to American airline pilots, for example. You could, but he was so busy with the Delta airline pilots that he never. That was enough. He, he was, he had more than he could handle as a financial planner with, with just that one. So that's the challenge. I think people are so busy worried that they're going to miss out that they actually miss out yeah. because their message is too broad. They're not actually appealing to, they're not communicating. So the rule of thumb is if you're not clearly communicating the value you provide, which means you need to know who you're providing it to. If you're not clearly communicating the value you provide, people choose the lowest perceived price and you're commoditized. That is so true. That is so true, especially when you provide a service. Uh, the issue I've seen so many times with digital marketing is because it's intangible that people call me and email me every day, especially nonprofits. We have our Wix website or our free Weebly site or our free DIY site that some volunteer made, but we're not getting any phone calls and we're not getting enough donations. Can you help us? Sure, I can help you. I can take you from point A to point B. Do you have a realistic budget you're willing to invest in order to get from point A to point B? And I'd say 99.9% .9 of the time, the answer is no. Mm -hmm. So why the disconnect? Is it because I have not taken the time at that point? And I'm just saying this as an example to communicate the value. What is the value of that one extra donor per week, let's say, or that one extra client to the lawyer per week? What's that value to you? Mm -hmm. How to define that? 
Um, it's, it's, you know, that's in the, at the end, David, that's the crux of everything. Mm. And, um, it really is. What's the saying? We, we all make decisions emotionally and then back them up. <laughs> right. Right. Now you have to justify it. Yeah. We just yeah. rationally, but <laughs> we've already made the decision emotionally. So, um, a couple things about that. One is absolutely. Um, there is a good book, Blue Ocean Strategy. The idea is that you know, in order to position yourself profitably, you have to position your create your own ocean, which is literally have a be solution based, not rather than what you sell. And one of the points in the book that really resonated and stayed with me is your job as a business owner and, and really your team. Your job is to communicate why someone should pay you either because you're going to help them generate far more than what they're paying you, or you're going to save them so much more than what you're, you're, they're paying you. The wanna, return on investment. You have to communicate the return on investment. Yeah. I think what you just said right before the ROI statement, I think what you said is really crucial. It could really be of tremendous value to the, digital marketers, web developers, SEO consultants, interior designers out there. And I think that's really, really key. You know, what is the value to you, the business owner, of the service that I'm providing? What's the value of this solution? And if they don't know it, they're probably not a good fit. Do you agree? Yeah, well, um, I think if you can, it takes some heavy lifting, right? Um, if you can communicate the value you provide to your target audience and it resonates. So you, the people who you want to work with, they, you know, they hear what you, what you offer and they say, yes, I'm in, you know, you've nailed it. Yeah, definitely. That messaging is that when you don't have it, people, uh, when you do have it and it's right, people that you don't want to work with will say, yeah, that's not for me. You right. want as much the self-selection away as the self-selection for your target audience. Yeah, and I and and you know to to take it a step further, um, let me give you an example of the RFP. I don't know how many RFPs you've you've looked at in your life. I've looked at probably a couple of hundred, and I got to the point where I just said, "Get them away from me." Yes, because they seem to be uh, and, and I don't know if these terms are ones that you agree with, but it seems like most RFPs request for proposals for anyone who doesn't know. They're like a generic cattle call. Yes. We want you, the service provider who we're assuming is an expert. We want you to provide these services at this price within this this period of time. And they almost always say, we want you to use these tools. And so you're, we want you to do everything as narrowly as possible. And they're telling you how long it should take and what they should have to pay and everything. Very seldom do they seem to generate the results that the business wants. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this a hundred times. Especially when I, I was involved with SCORE and, and other agencies where I'd pick up clients through them that they didn't want. How do you unpack all the client misinformation or misperception and put conversations on the right track so you can help them? Do we talk about what is the value of the solution to you? How real is this to you? Or is there a more effective way? It's a really good question. because you're, you're I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> RFPs are absolutely cattle calls and um, uh, and you're going to be commoditized because you're being judged on price, not all the rest of the factors. Every time. Also right. You know, the, the one of the rules of thumb is that your customers don't even they don't have the information to make an effective buying decision. Yeah, they don't even know the questions to ask to identify how to make an effective buying decision. So it's like, they don't know what you know. That's our challenge. So um, uh, when you're, I, personally, I would 
self-select out of doing RFPs. And I, of course, you have to give them an alternative before you get there. Yes. I'm gonna, I'll give you two examples because I've worked with companies that have done this. Um, the first was a packaging company. So they sold corrugated packaging. Mm -hmm. And we started with identifying their target audience, which was not who they thought. They, they had gone through an evolution and they hadn't caught up with who they thought their customer was. So it turns out they, they actually had a couple of accounts or small accounts with the big um, consumer packaged goods, CPG companies. So then we interviewed them. We did a survey and interviewed them. You know, what do they value? What's most important to them? What, what was, you know, any improvement ideas? So pulled out what they valued from this company. And then we analyzed you know, what's the solution we provide them? We're, you know, if you, if you think you're just selling packaging, corrugated packaging for consumer packaged goods, you're going through an RFP and you're being squeezed on price on how much does it cost for each package? That's right. They came back with a VIP solution because they actually had in their company a complete end-to-end -end solution from, from designers, engineers, cor raw corrugated material, printing, presses, and fulfillment. They could literally take the product shipped in, pack the boxes, put them on skids that they're then delivered right to a retail store. And that led them to becoming retail specialists that over a course in less than a year, they had pivoted that they were the essential resource these big CPG companies pulled in when a new product was being designed. They were part of the product design and launch strategy, and they just automatically filled. So they were no longer part of an RFP process, and it took them down a completely different path. I think that's a great example. I used to have a form uh, where someone would contact me, and if they selected that they were um, shopping out RFPs, that they were collecting RFPs, it would automatically show them a video of me saying, hey, thank you so much, but I would rather invite you for a cup of coffee or a virtual cup of coffee to discuss your objectives and how we can meet them rather than basically follow what you are prescribing. It would be like me going to the doctor and saying, it hurts right here. I want you to give me this kind of medication. It should take this long to have the effect. And this is how much it should cost me. And this is how much you should bill me. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I, I think that's a, a great example. Meanwhile, the, the pain here is actually because, you know, you fell over and something happened that you <laughs> were complete. You know what I'm saying? You had impact damage here and it's showing up here, but you don't know that. Yeah. Yeah, and and as service providers, we have to talk to the client and kind of diagnose first, not so much what the issue is, but what is the problem, and then what value does the solution have for you? Absolutely. So, um, I, I'd I'd like to do an, one other example, David, sure. because um, it was I talked to a guy who did flooring. So, you know, he did mostly for big box stores mm -hmm. and, um, and he was trying to get away from RFPs. And so we talked about, well, what's, you know, let's package your process. You already have this. You already, when you st first start working with a potential client to find out what their needs are, what, you know, what, what are the high traffic area? What's the purpose? What's the focus, you know, guide how you help them make an effective buying decision is your process. Yeah. So, and then let's package your process. So we're communicating mm. what it is. And he got a chance to test it out by a local school had approached him. So he, they knew he lived in the area. They knew about his business. And they approached him, said, listen, we need to redo our floors. It's a public thing. So we have to go through an RFP process. But we don't even know what to put. We don't know what to ask for. So he said, well, for $750, I'll come in and I'll do the you know, I'm going to make up a name, but I can't remember what he said. The, you know, the custom flooring solution recommendation. Hmm. That's a good and, idea. And he paid, they paid him $750 to come in and he did what he knows to do, analyze traffic and use and all the different things that go in. And so then he made a recommendation and then 
here's the thing. He did put an RFP in for the project and he was not the least expensive and they chose to go with him because they trusted his advice and his job performance. Right. They already knew him. Right. So that's, yeah, that's interesting. I had a, a package, I uh, reboot my business package where I would just come in for one day, one entire day, and I'd spend the day with the, with the, the decision makers and the people on the floor and just basically yell at everybody and tell them, okay, well, that's exaggerating. But basically, first we have to do what amounts to transactional analysis. Basically, we have to have the Socratic method of discussion. I know the answers. I know what you're going to tell me what the problems are, because you can usually see that after a few minutes of walking around and talking to people, but you can't tell them that. So you ask them, what do you think are the problems? What does that feel like for you? What would the solution be worth to you? How would that change your life? And then, okay, let's, would you like me to come up with some solutions for you? Could you act on that? So I think those are some really, really great ideas um, and some great examples. Um, I, I could talk to you all day long, Patty. Um, are there any issues that you feel I didn't touch on that you'd like to touch on briefly? Because I know well, you've got to get going. I think in the in the spirit of you know rebooting business, um, I've been saying repeatedly right now: if you're in crisis, identify who your best customers are. Really, who do you enjoy working with? They value working with you, and they're willing to pay you. Identify them. Um, be really clear on who they are and find others that are like them and go interview them. Those um, are committed. Yes. Find yeah. 10 good customers and interview them, not to sell them, just to find out how are you? What's going on? You know, David, you, you shared some gems. I don't even want to go curbside. I want people to come to me. If you come to me, I'll pay for that. Yeah. Right. That's huge. You need to know this stuff. So, um, go ident uh, interview, find out, get connected. Don't sell anything. Just find out what's going on with them. What are they worried about? What are they excited about? What do they want? Um, and then identify the assets in your business. Like what are the, um, what are some of the things and some of it you might take for granted and how you create value, but the assets of your, if you've got really great team members, you've got a really good culture. If you've got a unique way of delivering something, those are assets in your business. And now you can start figuring out how do you position the assets to what your customers want and then figure out your cash flow. I, um, I'm carrying, I'm on, um, uh, Keith Cunningham's, uh, tail coats when I say create a rolling PL 13 weeks out every week, what's the projected revenue, fixed expenses, variable expenses, and then project out to make sure that you have confidence in cash flow to be able to invest and make changes in your business. Yeah, so those key. three things at least put you in the position to be asking the right questions. Yeah. I agree. Is there um, any final points that you would like to add? And how can people get in touch with you and learn more? Perfect. Thank you. Again, David, such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I love your, the whole theme focus of rebooting business. I just love it. Um, and I greatly appreciate um, the interview. Uh, so if you'd like more information, go to pattymara.com. That's P-A-T-T-I-M-A-R-A.com. And David, we've got a special link for your listeners, for your subscribers. If you go to pattymara.com forward slash rebooting business, that's pattymara.com forward slash rebooting business. Uh, we've got a tool I created called the Touchpoint Scorecard. It's a really simple, easy to use, but powerful tool that puts you in the shoes of your clients or customers mm. to look at your, your experience you're creating and evaluate and come up with simple improvement ideas. Highly recommended you do it with your team. So it's a free download, and there's also a short training video on how to use it, and I'd have you involve your team in that as well. Well, that sounds great. Uh, Patty, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and I think you've given us all a lot of very valuable uh, information to go on. So please stick around with me for another minute or two, and I'm going to tie this episode of Rebooting Business up. 
Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for watching or listening. And if this podcast is helpful to you, entertaining or valuable, please give it a thumbs up. Please give it a positive review so we can continue to grow exponentially over time. And thanks for everybody out there. Please stay safe. And Patty, thank you again. Please hang around for a minute. And we're going to tie it up for now. Thank you, everybody. You've been listening to Rebooting Business, the podcast for, about, and by America's small business owners who are ready to reboot and rebuild businesses in a post-COVID-19 world. To learn more about rebooting your business or be a guest on the podcast, please visit www.dms.blue today.